episode. I got to hit on you a little. Oh, you already hit record. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> happy Mother's Day, Taylor. Happy Mother's Day, baby. Because <laughs> it was when this airs, it was yesterday. Yep. So, a happy Mother's Day to everyone out there. Um, to all you mothers, or even if you're just even slightly responsible for anyone else's life, whether that be an animal or, as Taylor says, whiny ass baby husbands, doesn't matter. <laughs> or even if you're just responsible for your own life, the fact that you're still alive means you're doing good. So happy Mother's Day to you. Go you. <laughs> yeah. So speaking of trying to stay alive, how was your week? Um, it was fine. I went, had to go to Walmart today for the first time in like two months and it was really terrifying. So in two weeks when you have Corona, we'll look back to this. <laughs> hey, I went fully gloved, fully masked like a crazy person, but I had to wait outside in line for like 30 minutes. Oof. And then the old man in front of me kept cracking weird jokes and then like spitting everywhere. And oh I was God. like, oh God, get me out of here. <laughs> oh, I don't like that. See, no. I went to the store today, too, and made my daughter scream at everyone, six feet apart. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was scary, though. I kept, like, having panic attacks because people were getting too close, and they weren't following the lines, so they were coming at me when they should have been coming with me. Ah. Yeah, I was, like, I'd be in an aisle, and I would need something right on the other side of somebody, and I'm like, oh. okay. And I would sit there for five minutes, and they would just sit there and stare at the same can, and so I would just ditch my cart and be like, here I go. And I would just run by him, grab it and run out. <laughs> like, I'm like, ah. I would just pick it up and put it in their cart and be like, this is what you want and then move on. <laughs> yeah. I had like today, this little lady was like in her wheelchair and she was staring. And I guess she wanted the specific type of jug of water. And it was at the top all the way to the back. And she looked at me and she was like, I was like, I can try, but I'm only five foot two. And that's <laughs> top shelf all the way in the back. By the end of it, I had to climb three shelves. <laughs> My belly button ring got caught in one of the shelves that I had to lean to reach the back. But she got her water, and I didn't fall. So I guess that's... It's oh the little God. thing, right? You she got the like, tall person request. Yeah, but I'm five foot two. So. I'm used to that. Almost every time I'm in the store, there's somebody like, can you grab that for me? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> And I was like, all the other water were, I don't know why. It was a jug of water, but the one she wanted had the red lid. So I guess it was like a specific type. And it was the last <laughs> one all the way in the back. She looked at me and I looked at that and I was like, well, let's see how this goes. <laughs> I literally like Laura crossed my way up there. And like I said, when I bend over to reach to the back, when I was like, that top shelf was in my midsection, my belly button ring got caught. And I was like, I'm not sure how to get down from here without making a scene. Oh my god. I wish I could have seen that. No, you don't. No, you don't. <laughs> it wasn't pretty. It wasn't that funny. It was more like sad and disgusting. You're just like, <laughs> you okay there? And I'm like, huh? Stuck. Yeah, <laughs> well, either way, I did my good deed for the week. So. But yeah, so this week has kind of been boring. It's really not much to talk about when you don't leave your house. Uh, I've been doing the diamond painting you got me for my birthday. So like a Do little old it? lady, I love it. But like a little old lady, I'm there for like five hours, like one diamond at a time. And I'm just like, every time I stick one, I'm like, oh, you're doing it, girl. You're doing it. You're getting there. Uh, 
watched The Office since I got it for my birthday, commentary and all. And then uh, I started working out because I've gained some quarantine weight. And then I rewarded myself by eating cheesecake. <laughs> it's a balance. It's a counterproductive, I'm sure. Like, I'm like, I burned 60 calories. So now I'm allowed to eat 400. <laughs> <laughs> and then I wake up the next day. I'm like, I just don't get it. Why am I not losing weight? So I'm glad to report that I still have not used my exercise bike <laughs> since the last time we discussed the exercise bike. I knew that was going to happen when you said you bought it. I'm like, it's going to do what every other person's exercise bike does and become a coat rack. Listen, I've got to, I've got to get on it. I'm just, I don't you, know what's wrong with me. me I kind of forget about it. You want me to just message you randomly and be like, what are you doing? And if you say nothing, I'll be like, cool, exercise bike. <laughs> well, if I, if I say watching TV, be like exercise bike. Cause I put it right in front of the TV and that's, that's why I thought I would do it. Cause I'm like, like, I want to lay down. <laughs> I, it's on the other side of the wall. So I don't see it. So I'm just always like, and then I walk by it and I'm like, oh shit, well, bedtime. (laughs) (laughs) See, I want to get a treadmill and put it right in front of the TV in the basement so that I can like walk while I'm watching the office, but treadmills are expensive, so. Yeah, that's why I did the cheap exercise bike. Yeah, how much was it? (laughs) It was only like 150 or something. So in three months when you realize you never use it, can I buy it from you for 50 bucks? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, probably. <laughs> uh, oh, um, since I start working from home, I guess today, since it's, I uh, made my basement, I turned it from a podcast area to a working at home office. And I set up the chair and then I tilted the TV down here because there's a 55 inch down here. And I tilted it to the table. I've got it set up to where I can watch the office while I work. <laughs> yes, I'm working really from home good. is just so nice. <laughs> I don't want to, but I'm ready. And I'm not really I, sure. You'll go through a phase. I'm telling you, you're going to be like, this is terrible. And then you're like, oh, I can just roll out of bed at 7.55 and walk downstairs. This is well, great. I have to bring my kid to the daycare. So oh. I have to put my pants. They're going to take my temperature. They said <gasps> that they're going to do it with this thing that doesn't touch you. So I'm like, is it the temperature that they put on rotisserie chicken ovens where it just kind of The laser? You? Yeah. What are you going to do? Then I'm terrified. I'm like, if it doesn't touch me, how does it know it's accurate? And then it's going to read that I'm 101 and they're going to be like, leave. So I'm like having panic attacks over the fact that somebody's going to take my temperature. Something is wrong. I didn't know they would take parents' temperatures. They're taking everyone's temperature. Hmm. I mean, that's good. At least you know it's safe. Yeah. It just, I'm like, oh, I'm going to fail the test and be sent home. Like I mean, you know, except that you don't show symptoms for like two weeks, so... It's really know. yeah. I don't know what they're doing. I guess they're they're following the, the guidelines to make it happen. So now I'm gonna work. But even though I have somebody to watch my kid, I'm still gonna work from home because I have another kid. So, but the, mm-hmm. he's too old for daycare, but too young to stay home. So yeah, yeah. So I'm like, he'll be fine. He's like, I can come sit with you and help you. I'm like, what are you gonna do, dude? Collect? How are, how are you gonna? You know, mortgage <laughs> law. And he's like. It can't be that hard. And I looked at him with the most disgust. I'm like, excuse me? It's a lot harder than your fucking Minecraft. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so I'm like nervous, but I'm going to work from home. I'm like, I don't know how it works because everybody who does it through my bank says that our VPN access is is crap. So (laughs) they're like, yeah, every call drops. I can't access for three hours at a time. But if I can't get in, 
I can't be penalized. So then I get to sit there for three hours fucking off while I wait for it to load back up. So it's fine. Yeah, that happens to me sometimes. It'll just like unconnect from the company's whatever and just be like, okay, well, can't do anything. Yeah, I told my boss, I'm like, um, I live in an area where it's like the wind blows too hard and I lose electricity for like five hours. And he's like, and if you do it, you do it. I mean, if we lost it, lost it at work, you couldn't work. So that's all you would have to do is just call me and be like, I can't work. And I was like, good. I have a generator, but I'm not telling him that. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully he hasn't listened to the podcast. Oh, I don't think so. He wouldn't listen to a podcast. I think he thinks Russians will get him through the podcast. So he doesn't. Like, oh, yeah. yeah. He's like that. So I think we're fine. I have a generator and I'm like, if the power goes out, the generator is to be used to like make sure I have heat or cooling and an Xbox and a TV so I can still watch TV and that's it. I'm not booting up my, my Wi-Fi and my computer from from work. It's not worth it. If I'm going to be burning gas, it better be because I enjoy it. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah, if the power goes out, I can't do anything. So, oops. So, fingers crossed the power goes out. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, you want to take a break and then let's start this? Okay. Cool. So, do you remember my hint? Mm-hmm. Uh, Jordan got it right. Go, Jordan. Yay. So, we... We're going to jump right into it. Um, this one is a dark one, so I am really, really sorry. Uh, Are you going to cry? Are you going to make me cry? At one point, I'm probably going to cry. Um, <sighs> but I'm going to try not to make it noticeable. But Lord knows that I'm not good at that. You can hear it in my voice. Because I'll be like, nobody can tell. But actually, my voice is like, nobody can tell. <laughs> I know. The Oscar Pistorius one, whenever we played his recording, you were like, that really hurt me. <laughs> and then you went back and you're like, nobody can tell I was crying. And I was like, okay. Yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> I know. I'm going to have to, I'll try to keep it together. There is one part that literally just breaks my soul. And I'm so sorry. So what I'm going to do is next week's. Let me make sure I've got it. Cause I, yeah, next week is going to be one where I don't have to talk about anyone dying. It's like a mystery one. You know what I mean? Well, so, it won't be next week. Well, my next one, I'm saying I'm giving myself a palate cleanser. My next one that I have to cover isn't going to break me. So <laughs> I try to do it. Like if I do a really dark one, the next one, I try to do something that isn't so shitty. Um, but this one, this one's dark. It's not like quite Sylvia Likens dark. So there's that. But <laughs> all right, are you ready? I'm ready. I'm gonna cover the San Ysidro McDonald's massacre. Mm. Or is it San Sidro? San Ysidro. You think I should have looked that up before? Yeah, probably. Oh well. You'll be fine. Um all right, so I'm covering the San Ysidro McDonald's massacre. So James Oliver Huberty. Uh, every time I read that, I think puberty, and I'm like, God, that must suck. Um, was born in Canton, Ohio, which is not very far. On Damn. October, yeah, I know. Uh, October 11th, 1942. When James was three, he ended up contracting polio, which, okay, I swear every time I cover a story that touches anywhere between the 30s and the 60s, somebody got polio. And I'm like, Hey guys, this is why you should vaccinate your kids so I don't have to tell another story <laughs> about polio again. Um, 
Okay, so he got polio, and he made a pretty quick recovery, but it did cause some long-term effects with walking difficulties. In the early 1950s, his father purchased a farm out in Amish country in Pennsylvania, and his mom, James's mom, absolutely refused to move out there and live in Amish country. She was like, look, that's good for you, but I need electricity. We didn't, we didn't finally buy a house with electricity to give up a house with electricity. Um, so she peaced out like, and left the whole family. She's like, oh, you want to live on a farm? Good luck with these kids. She leaves... She just leaves and she goes and she starts being like a sidewalk preacher for Southern Baptist organization. Um, (laughs) Okay, cool. You didn't want to churn butter, but you'll churn out them. Those uh, Baptist Lord words. Go ahead. Fine. Whatever. (laughs) So uh, this caused James to struggle, you know, considering his mother just peaced out. Um, Nothing says how much she loves you. Like she's willing to drop you over the fact that she might have to ride a horse. Uh, So he struggled. He became sullen, withdrawn. In 1962, at the age of 20, he started attending Jesuit Community College, where he'd go on to earn a degree in sociology. He then went on to earn a license in embalming at the Pittsburgh Institute of Mortuary Science in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I didn't realize Pittsburgh was in Pennsylvania until I did this. What? I know. I don't know why. I'm like, nothing good happens in Pennsylvania. (laughs) So I was like, Pittsburgh's in Pennsylvania? Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, Scranton's in Pennsylvania. You don't care. (laughs) That's where office takes place. Oh, see, I didn't even know. (laughs) Scranton. So um, while attending mortuary school, he met a woman by the name of Etna. They fell in love and married in 1965 and then had two children together. Daughters named Zelia, which was born in 1972, and Cassandra, born in 1974. The family relocated to Massillon, Ohio, where James took a job as an undertaker at Don Williams Funeral Home. So he's just playing with these dead bodies. So we're on a good start. Um, I don't know. Who wakes up one day and says, you know what I really want to do with my life? I want to embalm people. You know Makes good money. That? Yeah, but you know who thinks that? Jeffrey Dahmer. <laughs> Jeffrey Dahmer was like, I want to embalm people. I'm like, I mean, I'm not knocking anything. I'm just like, I don't realize. I'm, I, I just can't see somebody waking up one day and be like, I really want to stab dead bodies with needles. I feel like you probably start a program that's like different. And then it's like, you could go on this pathway, make a lot more money. True. Because I didn't wake up one day. I was like, I really want to take homes for a living. So I get it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. The whole family was forced to relocate back to Canton, Ohio after they lost their house in a fire in the winter of 1971. So I'm going to gossip for a second, but I was reading a bunch of stuff and people believe he set the fire on purpose for insurance money, but there's no proof. So, um, back in Canton, James left the funeral business and went to do working as a welder for union metal incorporated. So, I mean, I, that's two opposite sides of the spectrum there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so this, uh, this was about the time that a history of violent behavior was noticed within the family. At a birthday party for their neighbor's daughter, Etna, which was his wife, told their daughter, Celia, to beat up her classmate. So <laughs> she pointed at a girl and said, you should hit her. When they approached by the child's mother, the other mom was like, I'm sorry, why? Uh, Etna pulled out a 9mm pistol and threatened the mom. It was like... Yeah, some good things are happening. Uh, so the cops were called, and it was arrested, but they let her keep the gun, because, you know, why not? 
<laughs> they're like, if you promise not to do it again. She's like, of course. All right. So then the crazy escalates when the neighbor complains about the Huberty family dog. It was a sweet German shepherd, but they it was accused of causing some damage to the neighbor's car. Like maybe it scratched up the side. So, mm-hmm. of course, James is like, I know how to fix that. Walks outside and shoots the dog point blank in the head. I was like, no, you don't have to worry about it. Oh, yeah. No. Yeah. That um, hits me way worse than any oh, other death. Yeah. It was really awful, but it's like that's that's how he thought to fix this. Oh, if it's causing a problem, I should just kill it. Hmm. Like, or you could get a shorter leash. You know, <laughs> <laughs> offer to buff your neighbor's car. Whatever. Okay, that part shows already that he's a piece of trash. Um. It's also reported that James often slapped and punched his daughters and sometimes held knives to their throats. So his little girl. Yeah. Oh my God. Edna once, yeah. Edna once filed a report with the Canton Department of Children and Family Services. She claimed that James had actually messed up, like, in quote, messed up her jaw. So I guess he punched her in the face. Uh, James had rage issues with Edna. So Edna came up with an idea to fix it. Um, she bought tarot cards. And pretended to read his future. She didn't know how they worked. She never read about them. She didn't know how to actually read them. She would just pretend she was reading them and told him stuff that made him happy so he'd calm down. He'd be like, Etna, come here. And she's like, oh, hold on. I see that you're going to find $5 tomorrow. And he's like, really? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Like, desperate times. She's like, I'm just going to do this and see how it works. And she did it every time. (laughs) All right, so neighbors and coworkers described James as sullen, ill-tempered, and paranoid. They stated that he seemed obsessed with guns, and on one occasion, James tried to get his daughter to fight another girl. What are these parents doing? Uh, that's just, ugh. They were like, nobody started a fight club in a while. We should start a fight club. Uh, <laughs> so... Then when the dad of the little girl that he tried to get his daughter beat up came up and was like, what the hell are you doing? James told him, I believe in paying my debts, both good and bad. What? Okay. I want my daughter to beat up your daughter because, you know, good and bad. What? Okay. (laughs) All right. James was a conspiracy theorist and self-proclaimed survivalist. Uh, He blamed in the... He believed in the escalation of the Cold War was inevitable and that President Jimmy Carter and late old Ronald Reagan and the United States government were conspiring against him personally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Jimmy Carter and Ronald Reagan are just sitting in the Oval Office like, you know that James Huberty guy? He's a dick. <laughs> Let's see, what can we do to make his life? Yeah, okay. Um, in November 1982, Huberty was laid off from his welding job at Babcock and Wilcox. I'm like, so they started a business to see how many times they can get the word cock. <laughs> Babcock and Wilcox. Uh, <laughs> causing him to panic over not being able to provide for his family. A co-worker later recalled that after being notified of the impending closure, James just stated that if he couldn't provide for his family, he would kill himself and the whole family to fix it. Okay, John List, calm down. Uh, <laughs> That's not how you fix this. You just get another job. There's no reason to take out the whole family. Um, so according to Etna, around this time was when James started hearing voices. I'm not sure if it was her voice he was hearing or some in his head. <laughs> but 
In early 1983, he placed it a loaded pistol to his head and threatened to kill himself. So he's like just spiraling down. James is later involved in a motorcycle accident that left him with an uncontrollable twitch in his right arm. This ended his career as a welder, so in January 1984, the family left Canton and briefly, briefly moved to Tijuana, Mexico in October 1983 before they ultimately settled in uh, San Ysidro. Uh, it's a community in San Diego. So instead of saying San Ysidro or however it said that, I, I'm just going to say San Diego because I can't, can't keep butchering it. You can't. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a community in San Diego. So it's in San Diego. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's yeah, it's, yeah, it's a it's a community. It's not the city. Um, and then so they moved there three months later. Here he took a job as a security guard, but it was really short lived because after about two weeks he was let go for poor work performance and noted general physical instability. So, um, and I, I think from what I was reading, he was like calling off work unnecessarily. Things weren't going well for James mentally. Obviously, he's struggling. I mean, if he's hearing voices that he's, like, threatening people. Um, on July 15th, 1984, James commented to his wife, Edna, that he suspected he may have a mental problem. Yeah, Jimmy. I mean, <laughs> you shot a dog. Uh, he felt that he was struggling, and he reached out to a mental health facility on July 17th to request an appointment. He left his name and number with a receptionist who stated... Um, later, his polite demeanor conveyed no sense of urgency to the operator, and he elaborated in the phone call that he'd never been hospitalized before for mental issues. Therefore, the call was logged as a non-crisis inquiry, and um, usually those are handled within 48 hours. She also misspelled his last name uh, as Schuberty with S-H-O-U-B-E-R-T-Y. So not only did they log the wrong name, she put it as not really important, yeah. So that's where it like kind of starts to fall apart. According to his wife, James sat quietly by the phone for hours. He was waiting for a call back. He was unaware that they, it was going to be 48 hours and that they had the wrong last name. So he sat there for hours before he just abruptly got up, walked out the family home, and then jumped on his motorcycle and just took a ride. About an hour later, he returns home in a pretty co content new mood. Um, he was okay. He just seemed distant, but he wasn't angry nor happy. After eating dinner, uh, James and his wife and their two daughters at that point were aged 12 and 10. They all went to a nearby park. They hung out. They had some family time later that evening. Him and Etna watched a movie together. So it seems like everything's okay right now. So Etna's not alarmed or anything. Uh, James and his family then went to the San Diego Zoo the morning of July 18th, so this is the next day. In the course of their walking through the zoo, James told his wife that he believed his life was over. Like, he said, effectively, everything I care about is gone. I have no job. I I'm not doing well. It's over. After the zoo trip, the family had eaten at a McDonald's in the Claremont neighborhood of northern San Diego. So this is a separate McDonald's. But yeah. I think this is where the idea came from. Somebody didn't salt his fries or something because he was not happy. Shortly thereafter, uh, James walked into his bedroom wearing a maroon t-shirt and green camouflage slacks. Because I bet you that looked real good. Uh, and saw his wife was laying in the bed relaxing. He leaned towards her and he said, I want to kiss you goodbye. Etna um, didn't understand what was going on, but she kissed him anyway. And then said, well, where are you going? And he's like, because uh, she said, I need to make dinner soon. And he said, uh. I'm going hunting. 
hunting oh god oh god oh god oh god Mm -hmm. and of course she's like i'm sorry what uh with the gun across his shoulder and a box of ammunition and bundle and a bundle wrapped checkered blanket in his hands we don't know what it is at this time he looked over to his daughter azelia the older one he walked out the front door he turned back and said goodbye i won't be back oh my god so he leaves and etna doesn't think to call anyone what the fuck yeah she doesn't call she's like weird Maybe I'll just read his fortune again later. It'll be fine. Let me go to the tarot cards. Yeah, I'm just going to go to the tarot cards. And, and she's like, well, he said he was going hunting. Maybe he didn't mean humans. Maybe he's oh going to go get something for dinner. Yeah, I don't know. What, she just didn't do anything. She's just kind of like me when, it, when I get sick. And I'm like, if I ignore it, it'll go away. So, <sighs> so James then drove to the San Ysidro Boulevard. And according to eyewitnesses, he drove first towards a Big Bear supermarket then, like, turned around towards the U.S. Post Office branch. Then he entered the parking lot of the McDonald's, approximately three blocks from his apartment on Avril Road. So he parks there at 3.50... Oh, I'm just not ready for this. Okay, all right, all right, sorry. At 3.56 p.m., July 18th, James pulls into the McDonald's parking lot on San Ysidro Boulevard in his black Mercury Marquis sedan. On him, he has a 9mm Browning HP semi-automatic pistol, a 9mm Uzi carbine, and a Winchester 1200 12-gauge plump shotgun. Gosh, I don't know what any of these are. I know, I was about to say, (laughs) so guns, because I don't know. Um, A box and then a cloth, that that plaid thing, filled with hundreds of rounds of ammunition for each weapon. Not just hundreds of rounds, 100 rounds for each. For each. Yeah. Um, he was sitting in his car gathering his stuff. A couple minutes later, he walked in. At the time he walked in, there were 45 customers in the McDonald's and a full staff. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's 4 o'clock. It's like people are going to get early dinner. So it's yeah. not... What ugh. day of the week is this? Girl, I don't know. It's July oh. 18th. In... <laughs> oh, no. Uh, gosh. I would have to pull up a calendar. It's July 18th, 1984. I got it. I got this. Hold on. Yeah, I've never seen what they said what day of the week. And I didn't oh, think... Oh, damn. That... I put it in and it came up the massacre. Yeah, well, it's a pretty big date. Wednesday. What... A Wednesday. It was a Wednesday. Okay, so it was a weekday. All right. So kids uh... just got off school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and that comes into... Okay. Um. So, it's full. James took the shotgun and aimed it at an employee, a 16-year-old named John Arnold. With the gun drawn, James aimed at John, the assistant manager, and a man named... Okay, so this is a very Spanish neighborhood. A lot of people have um, Spanish descent names. I am so sorry. So he... he, a guy named Guillermo Flores. I know. I'm so sorry. Guillermo Flores. Okay, Mr. Flores. It's G U I L L E R M O. I just love you being like. Okay, Mr. Flores shouts, Hey, John, that guy's going to shoot you. 
Hey, I mean, we don't know. In a, in a moment of crisis when stuff like this happens, who knows what we would say. I know that I get my food and, and when they say, enjoy your food, I say, thank you, you too. And that's just yeah. because I'm caught in a moment of how to how to respond. So in this situation, I probably would have just been like, lasagna. So, <laughs> all right. So James pulls the trigger and nothing happens. He checks the gun. Um, and then the manager, because he was pointing at the assistant manager. So the regular manager, 22-year-old Neva Kane, or Neva Kane, walked to the counter um, as John, the guy who was holding a gun to, just walks away. He's like, uh, you know what? I'm 16. They don't pay me enough. So he walks away. And he's like, you got this. So Neva comes up. After a brief once-over with the gun, uh, he aims it at the ceiling and fires a shot to test it. It goes off. Then he aims the gun. And then he takes out the Uzi. He has like three or four guns. And he just like goes between them. So I'm going to try to keep track. He grabs Isn't an Uzi, Uzi like really big? I don't know. Honestly, I didn't Google the guns because I, I already know the FBI is looking at my computer. The last thing I needed to do was look at gun types. I, I just knew better. It's uh, a submachine gun. Because, you know, normal people need these. Um, yeah. So he grabs the Uzi and he aims it at Neva, pulling the trigger once, firing a deadly blow right below her left eye. And she died oh minutes later. So first person has been murdered. James then fires his shotgun at John which was the assistant manager who backed up and, but he was farther away now. So it wounded him in the chest and arm before he shouted everybody on the ground. James who? shouted that. Not, not, no, not John. John's already on the ground. James okay. is the one who's like, all right, everybody down. Um, so yeah, James, at this point, everybody's losing their minds. Well, uh, yeah, two shots of art. Well, no more. He just shot somebody like three times, but somebody's yeah. dead. So, James begins to rant, referring to all those present as, excuse my language, this is in quotations, I swear to God I would never say this, dirty swine Vietnamese assholes. <gasps> but they're not. They're A lot of them are, like, Latino. So he's obviously not in his right state of mind. Something is going on, and I think the Vietnam, Vietnam War was happening around the same time. So he's not. He's not there. Um, and then he went on to claim that he killed thousands of people thousands of people and he planned to kill thousands more uh what you talking about bro so uh, a brave customer tried to calm him down um he's yeah, so he's just like trying to he's like I, I you just need to calm down uh 25 year old victor rivera tried to convince james you know you don't need to shoot anyone we can we can all walk out of here put this gun down so james aimed the gun at victor and shot him 14 times while yelling shut up Oh my god, so, oh my god. Victor Rivera falls to the ground and he screams in pain. And Victor's wife, Maria Leticia Rivero, and their two daughters, one was a one-year-old and another one was a four-year-old, were also there. So she had to watch her husband bark, bark. She had to watch her husband. <laughs> I just wanted everyone to know it was me barking, not your dog. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, so... Unfortunately, the whole family had to watch this, like the wife and two young kids. Um, so in a later in interview with the San Diego Union Tri Tribune, Maria, the wife, stated in the midst of chaos, she managed to talk to her ch children and convince them to go to sleep. Oh, my God. She's like, you need to go to sleep. Cause and then when they fell asleep in the booth, she played dead. So she tried to pretend that they had gotten shot. Um, I don't know how. I'm like, 
I'm having panic attacks of the idea of trying to convince your one-year-old and four-year-old to go to bed. Like, hey, right wait, now, this is like, this is this is okay. So the guy who her, just the guy her who husband just, came just got up shot and then times. But other things are playing out in the meantime when she's trying to get her kids. Yeah, to after yeah. he he fell to the ground, the first thing she did was like, "All right, you guys, you need to go to sleep. Just yeah. go to sleep. Just pretend you're asleep, or just go to sleep." Because it was like, obviously, James is going through all kind of shit. So he's facing everybody. So he's not going to notice them. So she's like, pretend you're dead. He shot 14 shots. He could just assume we got hit in the fire. Go to yeah. sleep. So they all do that. And then she plays dead. Oh, God. I couldn't imagine. I feel like I would try to get up and run and go f- make sure that my husband's okay. But also, you got to take care of this one-year-old and four-year-old. I mean, props to her to be able to get her four-year-old to... Because I feel like... My kid would just be screaming. Mine would be asking questions. there would questions. be nothing I could do. Yeah. There would be my nothing daughter, I could do to make her quiet. My daughter doesn't like the word die or dead or killed. Okay. She yeah. used to, she's told me she doesn't. So she uses the word defeated. And I just know she'd be like, did he just defeat him? Oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah. It would be awkward. She won't. Yeah, it's it like, if we find a dead bug, she says, oh no, that bug has been defeated. So... But like she would be screaming did he just defeat him is he defeated it would just be the worst i just know like in my anxiety scenarios that i do and my fake drills in my head like if a burglar was in my house mm-hmm. and i had to like hide in the closet i always am like how am i gonna get this child to not talk because all she does is talk <laughs> so i'm like how would i get her to not be found and i don't know how that woman did it but Props yeah, to her. Yeah, good. I mean, in the quick thinking, I feel like I'd be mm-hmm. panicking because she just was clear-headed and she was like, I have to do this to protect them. All yeah. right, so both the staff and the customers try to hide under tables and under booths. They're just dodging. They're trying to get out of the way. They're trying to be unseen. James approaches a table that housed six women and children that were all huddled together. He killed 19-year-old Maria Colmenero Silva first with a shingle a single shingle jesus uh so he took a a, a roof shingle now a single gunshot to her chest he killed her instantly so now there's five people hollered together he then turned the uzi on a nine-year-old girl named claudia perez he shot her in the stomach the cheek the hip the thigh the leg the chest the back the armpit and the head killing her instantly every time you named every body part i I flinched i I felt it in my stomach and it's because it's a semi-automatic all he has to do is as fast as he can pull the trigger is as fast as it's going to fire so that means he was just firing and he shot her that many times and it killed her instantly all i can say is thank god she died so quickly because i could not imagine this poor like nine-year-old sweet baby suffering yeah um yeah he then wounded her 15 year old sister amilda in the hand she's okay though so then he takes a shotgun and then he shot at 11 year old Aurora Panina or Pina or Pina. So sorry. Um, and hit her in the leg while she was trying, while she was being shielded by her pregnant aunt. So her aunt like tried to jump in front of her and shields her. So she gets hit in the leg. Her aunt is an 18 year old pregnant woman by the name of Jackie Reyes. James shot Jackie with Uzi 48 times. Oh my God. Yeah. Overkill. I keep feeling it. my arms. I'm getting goosebumps. I just don't like this. Um, she lay dead on the floor while her eight-month-old baby began to scream. Okay. Um, trigger warning? This enraged... Oh, God. 
<laughs> this enraged James, so he shouted at the kid um, to shut up, shut the baby up. Um, then he uh, delivered a single pistol shot to the center of the baby's back, killing her instantly. Um, and then Aurora, the girl that got shot in the leg, played dead. So her aunt is now dead, and then her baby cousin just got shot. And it's it's an eight-month-old. This is yeah. the part that broke me. I, you guys, I'm so sorry. Um, uh, bring it back. James then fatally shot 62-year-old trucker named Lawrence Versalus. He then um, set his sights on a family that was seated near the play area. So 31-year-old Blythe Reagan Herrera... Um, covered her 11-year-old son, Mateo, with her body beneath a booth as her husband, Ronald, protected Mateo's best friend, which was 12-year-old Keith Thomas, under a booth directly across from them. So each parent grabbed a, a kid and tried to shield their body. Ronald urged Keith not to move. Um, and this was Mateo's friend. So this isn't even their kid. that He was just along for dinner. It's like literally yeah. every parent's nightmare is like, go have fun with your friend and this happens. 12-year-old mm -hmm. Keith was shot in the shoulder, arm, wrist, and left elbow, but none of the wounds were serious. But Ronald, the parent protecting him, was shot six times in the stomach, chest, arm, hip, shoulder. But he also survived. Um, unfortunately, though, his wife Blythe and their son Mateo were both kill killed instantly with shots to the head. Wow. So one booth was survived and the other booth did not. Nearby, three women had also attempted to hide beneath the booth. 24-year-old Guadalupe Del Rio lay against the wall. She was shielded by her friend, 25-year-old Gloria Ramirez, and a 31-year-old Arisa Delce Delvas Vargos. Oh, gosh, this is so hard. Um, Del Rio was hit several times, but not seriously wounded. Ramirez, Gloria Ramirez, was unhurt, but Arisa Delce Vargas received a single gunshot wound to the back of the head. She died the next day, but she was actually the only person fatally wounded that lived that long enough to reach the hospital. So she, she didn't die right away, but she did die later. At another booth, James Huberty killed 45-year-old banker Hugo Velasquez with a single shot to the chest. He's just on this rampage, and he's shooting at everyone regardless. Kids, adults, ugh. It's like so many names and they're all so hard to pronounce. And I feel like I'm, I'm not doing these victims justice and I'm so sorry, but at the same time, none of you guys can pronounce my last name and I wouldn't be mad. So <laughs> all this is happening in a matter of minutes. I know it sounds like this like took forever, but this happened in a matter of like three minutes. The first call was made to the emergency services at about four o'clock. The caller alerted the police, but the dispatchers directed the officers to the wrong McDonald's, sending oh, them two miles away. Yeah. So this caused a delay of several minutes. And uh, it also stopped that McDonald's from being locked down right away. So people who were walking and riding their bikes by had no clue. And people were continuing to walk into the store. Shortly after four, a young woman by the name of Lydia Flores drove into the parking lot. She stopped at the food window pickup and noticed that there were shattered glass and sounds of gunfire before looking up. And this is her quote. She says, I was looking up and there he was just shooting. Flores hit, like slammed it in reverse and crashed into a fence, jumped out of the car, grabbed her daughter, two-year-old daughter, 
and then hid in the bushes. Um, Cause she was afraid if he saw her take off, he would chase her down. So it was easier to hide in the bush than to try to drive near that window again. At about 4.05 PM, a couple by the name of Alstolfo and Marcelo Felix pulled into the McDonald's drive-thru. Seeing the shattered glass, Alfonso just assumed maybe it was under renovation. Um, and that James, who was now walking up to their car, he went out of the McDonald's and was walking up to their car, was just a repairman, just to tell him, hey, you can't drive through right here. Oh, my God. Um, so they sat there and waited till James came up. James walks up, fires both his shotgun and his Uzi into the car. He hit Marcella in the face, arms, and chest, leaving her blind in one eye and permanently disabling her hand. In the back seat was a four-month-old four daughter named Carla Felix. Ugh. She was critically wounded in the neck, chest, and stomach, so he shot now a four-month-old baby. Alfonso oh was hit in the head and chest, got out of the vehicle. Alfonso and Marcella staggered away from James's line of fire, like trying to get away. Marcella later recalled that her baby daughter was being pulled out of her arms. So she, like, grabs her baby, and she's in a daze because she's just been shot in the face. Yeah. And she says she just remembers somebody taking her daughter out of her arms. But um, who? Later she learned it was a stranger by the name of Lucia Velasco who actually grabbed the little girl out of her arms because she was passing the scene, saw what was happening, grabbed the baby, handed the baby to a police officer that just happened to come on the scene, and that police officer jumped in a car and rushed the baby to the hospital. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, like, these are some real badass citizens. So, like, but poor Marcella doesn't realize at the moment who took her baby. Yeah. And then as soon as her baby left her arms, she collapsed against the car. Um, ooh, God. Um, and then the person who helped take the baby had already taken off and her husband joined the scene and he stayed behind and helped Alfonso and Marcella. Like, he grabbed them and, like, walked them to a, a nearby building. The whole family survived. So even though they got shot in the head, including the baby, they all lived. That's so crazy. That tiny little body. I know. It's like all that. Oh, I just can't. The police had still not arrived. So it's like the police officer that showed up must have heard something on the scanner and was like checking by because he was the only one in the area. I wonder how much time has actually been passed. Probably hardly any time. It's at 4.05 right now that the couple drove to the window. And this happened, he walked in at 3.56. So it's been nine minutes. Yeah. So it's really, like, it, it doesn't sound like long, but in the situation, that is a long time. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the police had still not arrived at the McDonald's. It was still not locked down. Three 11-year-old boys were riding their bikes after school and decided to stop at the McDonald's to buy some ice cream. Someone nearby was yelling at them, trying to warn them, but the boys couldn't really hear. They didn't understand what somebody was screaming. They hesitated. They turned around, kind of gave a shrug, like, I don't know. What, did, what do you think they said? And then they're like, I don't know. So while they were trying to figure out what somebody was yelling at them, it gave James Huberty time to notice them. He picked up his gun, took aim, and shot all three boys with the shotgun and the Uzi. One of the boys, 11-year-old Joshua Coleman, fell to the pavement, having been shot critically in the back, arms, and leg. Omar Alonzo Hernandez was on the ground, having been shot multiple times in the back, and David Flores Delgado had been shot multiple times in the head. Josh Coleman, the first one to be shot, lay bleeding and scared. He looked at his friends, realized that one of them was dead, and threw up. Oh, my God. Oh, 
correction. Realize both of them are dead. So <gasps> both of them had died. He saw it. He throws up. He freaks out and he just lays on the pavement for an hour playing dead. So an hour? He laid there for an hour. This is going to take them uh -huh. an hour to clear the scene? Oh my God. Oh my God. I know. So he lays there. Two 11 year olds are dead and he's playing dead. Um, now, 43 year old. Okay, so Joshua, just as really sad as it is, he played dead, but he survives. He's now 43. He's a married iron worker who lives in Alpine. And he has three daughters, the ages of nine, eight, and five. I just wanted to give you like a good things happened to him. So he's, he's alive and he has a normal life. And he has three probably very beautiful daughters. So, all right. Now an elderly couple, 74-year-old Miguel Victoria Yulo and his 69-year-old wife, Adia Valesquez Victoria, um, were walking towards the entrance. Because once again, this is not locked down. People are still coming. They he's he the inside at this point? So I think he's, yeah, he's in the parking lot. Like, I don't know if he's just, like, right outside the door, but he's walking up yeah. to people and shooting them outside. So then James notices the old couple as Miguel reached out to open the door for his wife because he is a sweet gentleman. James fired the shotgun, killing his, the wife, Ada, shot straight to the face, and then shot Miguel, just wounding him. A, a gentleman by the name of Oscar Mondragon, his last name has the word dragon in it, so that's awesome, was nearby the scene and stated that he saw Miguel cradling his dead wife in his arms, crying and wiping the blood from her face. Oh he then shouted and cursed James for killing his wife. And then James walked up to Miguel and executed him with a single shot to the head. <gasps> mm. But honestly, I think the guy wanted to die um, because he's holding his dead wife and he's crying and he's screaming for you to antagonize somebody. I feel like you're like, just take me too. Yeah, so, I mean, if, if still... you see a guy with a gun who shot your wife and you say, fuck you, you know he's going to shoot you. I feel like he's like, I just got to go to. Um, and the guy, Oscar, who watches this, who watch, watched the whole thing was actually one of the few survivors who never got injured. I don't know what this dude is doing or where Oscar's hiding, but he was witnessing all this. And that's why he was able to tell about what happened to the old couple. But he never gets hurt. At about 4.15, 20 minutes after the attack started, the police finally show up at the Wright McDonald's. The first officer on the scene, Miguel Rosario, rapidly determined that the location and cause of actual disturbance, um, what was going on and that there was a shooting, so he related to the San Diego Police Department as James fired at the patrol car with his rifle. Um, responding officers and backup immediately imposed a lockdown on the area, spanning six blocks. Thank God. Um, police then established a common man post about two blocks from the scene and deployed 175 officers in numerous locations that they felt would be strategic placement in the area. So like on roofs and stuff and through windows within the hour, they were joined by SWAT as well, who surrounded the building as James Huberty was firing rapidly and alternating between firearms of different calibers, you know, so Uzi shotgun, he was just bouncing back and forth. Uh, police initially were unaware of how many individuals were actually inside the restaurant because there's several different like like guns being shot so they thought mm -hmm. maybe there's more than one person furthermore because of the most of the restaurant windows had been shattered by the gunfire reflections of the shard of the glass actually provided an additional difficulty the police couldn't even see through the windows so they don't know how many people are inside how many people are being shot at how many people are shooting 
the cops were afraid that the shooter was actually holding hostages, but was informed by somebody who had actually escaped that he was, look, you guys, he's one guy and he's shooting anyone who walks up to him. Yeah. At 5.05 p.m., an hour after the shooting started, all responding law enforcement personnel were authorized. You can kill all perpetrators you see with a gun if you can obtain a clear shot. So they gave the, okay, shoot this guy. Yeah. Good. Um, it was later revealed that James walked towards the service counter, adjusted a portable radio, possibly trying to figure out if there was like a news report of what was he was doing before selecting a music station and then just shot more people as he danced. Um, oh my God. I couldn't write this in a movie and make it sound real. I just couldn't. It's insane. James then searched the kitchen, discovering six employees hiding. And he shouts, oh, there's more. And you're trying to hide from me. And then an employee shouted in Spanish, um, don't kill me. To which James responded by just opening fire and killing 20-year-old Paulina Lopez, 19-year-old Elsa Borboro Fierro, and 18-year-old Margarita Padilla. Or Padilla. Padilla grabbed the hand of her friend of a colleague, 17-year-old Wendy Flanagan, and they, they, those two just began to run. I'm really sorry if this is hard to follow. There's a lot of names and a lot of people. Yeah. But those two girls ran. Um, as they were running, James shot Padilla um, in the back, Margarita, um, and she died. Then Wendy Flanagan and four other employees and a female customer found a utility closet closet in the basement and they hid down there in the shooting rampage he critically wounded 17 year old albert leos us uh, and then despite being shot five times he crawled down 25 steps towards the closet and then hid in there with wendy and the other girls they helped him when they realized it was a survivor they opened the door and dragged him inside before james had a chance to notice anybody was going missing yeah. that guy was shot five times Ooh, I'm getting chills. And he survived, and now he's a San Diego police captain. Mm. Yay. Claps for him. I love how this kind of stuff drives people to do stuff like that. They're like, I want to make sure I save anybody else. I'm going to do that, too. Um, as a fire truck approached the scene, James opened fire, sprayed the truck with bullets, but luckily only slightly wounded one person inside. James heard um, a moan nearby, realizing somebody was alive. And he finds 19-year-old Jose Perez laying in a booth in pain. I think Jose was shot like way earlier. So James walked up to him and executed him with one fatal shot into the head. Jose mm -hmm. Perez died alongside his friend and neighbor, 22-year-old Gloria Gonzalez, and a woman by the name of Michelle Carncross. So do you remember the 11-year-old outside? Oh, sorry. Yeah. No, the 11-year-old inside. Do you remember the girl that was playing dead that got shot a bunch of times next to her baby cousin? Yeah. Like her. Yeah. Okay. That was, sorry. That was like 45 names ago, but she had, her aunt got shot and then her baby cousin was fatally shot. And then she laid, played dead because she got shot in the leg. At this point, mm -hmm. she'd been laying there for an hour. So there was a break in the fire. So Aurora thought maybe it was over. I mean, she's 11, so she doesn't realize. So she opens her eyes and realizes James is nearby and made eye contact with her. Seeing that she wasn't dead pissed him off. So then he shot her in the arm, neck, and jaw. She remained hospitalized longer than anybody else, but she survived. Oh my gosh. 
I just, the fear that I feel when I think about, like, she's, like, laying there pretending to be dead, surrounded by people she loves who are dead. She's covered in blood. She thinks it's over because it's quiet. She opens one eye and it's, like, straight eye contact with him. Yeah, that, for, like, a split second that she opens her eyes, he's, like, right there looking at her. That's, like, the most terrifying, scary movie crap. Yeah. So, but, like I said, she survives. So, she's one of the survivors. It's now 5.17 p.m. 5.17 p.m. This has been going on for over an hour and ten minutes. Oh, my God. James Huberty walked to the counter of the McDonald's towards the doorway that was closest to the drive through window. This allowed 27-year-old SWAT sniper by the name of Charles Foster to deploy to a position on the roof of the post office that was directly across the street from the restaurant. Charles used his telescopic sight to fire one single round from about 35 yards away. The bullet hit James directly in the chest, severing his aorta just beneath his heart, exiting through his spine, leaving an exit wound about one, one inch, sending James flying backwards to the floor in front of the counter, killing him instantly. Yes. The reign of terror that had lasted 77 minutes is finally over. 77 fucking minutes. Yeah. Woo! That's a whole movie. So, like, yeah. I don't, I just don't, I don't like this. Um, so Charles Foster immediately alerted the other officers that he killed James, but he was now watching the suspect just in case he wasn't actually dead. So he never took his scope off the guy. At this mm-hmm. point, the police weren't sure if James was still the only one in there, even though one person did run out and say it was one person. That doesn't mean all the police knew at this point. Yeah. Um, so they waited, they watched, they waited a full minute before they moved into the McDonald's. Could you imagine that 60 seconds that people were playing dead, that they're just laying there with this killer and they're like, is somebody going to come in? That's probably the longest 60 seconds of their entire life. Well, they probably don't even know that. Maybe he's that he's dead. Yeah. Even been shot. Cause I'm sure there's just shots ringing out. So who knows what they're thinking? Um, so they waited a full minute moving into the McDonald's. A sergeant approached a wounded girl nearby asking her if James was the only shooter. She nods. Yes. This is the first time the cops realized all this madness was just one fucking dick. Yeah. So they thought it was like multiple people cause it's multiple different bullets everywhere. But it's one dude with three guns. During the attack, James fired a minimum of 257 rounds of ammunition, killing 20 people and wounding many, many others, one of whom was pronounced brain dead upon arrival and then died the next day. Mm-hmm. 17 of the victims were killed inside of the restaurant, while four were killed immediately outside. Only two of the individuals inside the restaurant were uninjured. There was 45 people. Out of 45 people, wow. 10 people were uninjured were uninjured six of whom were actually hiding in that basement closet yeah the victims who ate there they ranged in ages from four months old to 74 years old and they were predominantly but not exclusively of mexican or mexican-american ancestry reflecting the local demographics of the area i told you it was a very latino community which is why Mm -hmm. i butchered every one of these people's names um all right so now i'm going to go through because they deserve to be listed And then we're done. I promise. I'm going to go through all the victims. Inside. Elsa Herlindo Barbara Fierro, age 19. Neva Denise Kane, age 22. Michelle Deanne Carncross, age 18. Maria Elena Colmenero Silva, age 19. 
Gloria Lopez Gonzalez, age 22. Blythe Reagan Herrera, age 31. Mateo Herrera, age 11. Paulina Aquino Lopez, age 21. Margarita Padilla, age 18. Claudia Perez, age 9. Jose Ruben Lozano Perez, age 19. Carlos Reyes, 8 months. So sorry. 8 months old. Jackie Lynn Wright Reyes, 18. Victor Maximilian Rivera, 25. Delcy Felvas Vargas, 31. Hugo Luis Velasquez, 45. Lawrence Herman Versilus, 62. That was just inside. Outside was David Flores Delgado, 11. Omar Alonso Hernandez, 11. Miguel Victoria Yulo, 74. And his wife, Ada Velasquez Victoria, 69. Whew. That's a lot of names. Um, McDonald's temporarily suspended all television and radio advertisements in the days following the massacre. In an act of solidarity, arch-rival fast food chains Burger King also refused to, to put out any advertisement. So they, they said that any advertisement at that time could look like they were taking advantage of the fact that McDonald's couldn't advertise. So they didn't advertise either. James was cremated July 23rd, 1984, but no official service was done. His ashes were given to his widow. Honestly, they should have been flushed down the toilet. But that's just me. Um... For several weeks after, James's family received death threats, which forced them to stay with a friend since they were no longer safe at home. Okay, his family had nothing to do with it, and they're just as much victims. So, can we just not? Yeah, but, I mean, you know, people do weird stuff when they're hurting. I know, but they're they're innocent, too. I mean, they're yeah. victims. I mean, I know that it's not like they're victims. It's like they're, they were physically hurt. No, some of the care about died, but not only did he die, he killed a lot of people, and they probably carried a lot of guilt. So, all three ended up needing counseling for nine months. The family relocated in the daughter's attendant school, and they took on assumed names to hide their identity so that they weren't just grouped in with this guy. Um, several of the responding officers to the scene also suffered from sleep withdrawal and memory loss and extreme survivor guilt. The McDonald's was demolished at midnight on September 26th. Following the closure and demolishment of the restaurant, McDonald's donated the ground to a city to the city where a stipulation was that no restaurant would ever be allowed to be constructed on that site. They said it would be disrespectful. McDonald's, like, they were on it. They're like, we'll give you this land. Do not build another restaurant, though. Yeah. Um, the restaurant chain also announced commitment to do donate $1 million to a survival's fund with the, the widow of the McDonald's founder, Ray Kroc, also adding a personal contribution of $100,000 to assist in burial, burial cost of the victims. Financial aid for the relatives of the deceased and counseling for survivors as well. The sum total of the donations received by this fund exceeded $1.4 million in 1985 money. It's the first time I didn't actually calculate what it would be now because I was so upset that I really wanted to be done with this. So, yeah. so I'm sorry. But we could just take a guess, what, $3 million? Um, in July 1986, Edna Huberty filed a lawsuit against both McDonald's and her husband's longtime former employee, Babcox and Wilcox. The civil suit, seeking $5 million in damages, asserted that her husband's murder spree had been triggered by a combination of poor diet. Uh-huh. Oh, my God. Uh-huh. Hey, Edna, maybe it had to do that you were reading bullshit fortune to him on some tarot cards. Why don't you see yourself? Wait. Um, oh, my God. 
his wife was suing, being like, I should be paid because my husband went on a shooting rampage, which involved you guys killed him for it because you guys, he ate bad meat. I don't know. And also, she, she sued believed, McDonald's. She, no, she sued, she did sue McDonald's. And then she sued oh her, her employee. I know. And then she claimed she sued the McDonald's for like the poor diet, saying that all the fatty food he consumed from McDonald's made him lose his mind. Uh, no. Listen, chick, I can eat a whole family pack bundle box for eleven dollars, and I'm not killing no one. Um, and then she also claimed that the previous employer, Babcox and Wilcox, had uh, had him working around highly poisonous metals without adequate protection over the course of many years. Um, which. I mean, there is some stipulation of that. There, they, It's called the Mad Hatter effect, where you deal with a lot of poisonous gases mm-hmm. and, and stuff, and it does cause your brain to to become weird. But they also did um, an autopsy on him, and his brain was fine. Other than the fact that he showed like signs of what, of what sociopaths would have, where parts are underdeveloped or overdeveloped. They didn't show any wear and tear from poisonous gas. He was not on any type of drugs. He was just a, a fucking psycho. So the case was dismissed. I just imagine them laughing at her. And they're like, excuse me, ma'am? No. Can you imagine getting, being at McDonald's and getting that and being like, are you, like, your husband caused a huge tragedy. Just, just don't, I would not even show my face, let alone show up with a document being like, I'm suing you. No way. It feels like she would just wanted money. She's like, I'm going to take this. Oh my God. No, I know. I'm not saying it was right. I'm saying it was. She's like over here, just like, how can I manipulate this for me? And I, it's oh just like, I just imagine them laughing at her. They're like, okay, Edna, bye. Uh, no, but the case is dismissed. So, all right. Um, so that's it. That's the McDonald's massacre. Um, sources were Wikipedia, Murderpedia, an article from KB, KPBS, San Ysidro McDonald's massacre 35 years later, an article from the San Diego Union Tribune, and a new documentary. Uh, sorry. The San Diego Union Tribune slash the new documentary explores the 1984 McDonald's massacre in San Ysidro. So, and that is that. And thank God that's over. (laughs) Sorry I cried. I knew I would. But, yeah. And I'm so sorry I butchered all those names. I really did try my best. But if you saw the spelling of some of these, you would have a little bit of sympathy. But, okay. Now that that's over. You want to do the light over the stove? All right. That was really, really dark. So what we need is the light over the stove. Yes. So, okay. So this one, we're going to try to make this one fun because that one was so shitty. We're going to do two truths and a lie. I swear to God, I told you last week you need to come up with some. And apparently I didn't. So I apologize. So (laughs) Taylor had to come up with some like literally right before we started. (laughs) But we're going to go back and forth. And we're each going to tell two truths and a lie. And the other one has to guess it. So I'll, you want me to go first? Yeah. Okay. This one's going to be easy. I promise. And then it's going to get weird. <laughs> I wanted to start with something really mild. Okay. First, I have 32 tattoos. My middle name is Marie. My right foot is two sizes smaller than my left. Which one is the lie? I don't know your middle name. <laughs> Why do I not know your middle name? Because <laughs> I usually don't tell people. Um, um, I'm going to say that 
you don't have 32 tattoos. You have one more or one less. No, the lie was my middle name was Marie. What's your middle name? It's Anne. A-N-N. I did not know that at all. It's the basic, most basic white girl middle name ever. Yeah. Yeah. Happens. And then, like, for everybody who's wondering about the two sizes smaller, it's not like something crazy happened. I was born with a club foot, and it was backwards. And when they did the reconstruction surgery at six months old, and they put it in a cast, it stunted the growth while the cast was on it. So for six months, my left foot grew while my right didn't. But that's all. But it does make shoe shopping an effing nightmare. Yeah. So, so, okay. All right, your turn. <laughs> I feel like yours are going to be so much better than mine because you had time to think about this, and I'm just like, this I actually, is blue. Is that I like yesterday, <laughs> so. <laughs> okay. My painting got first place in the state fair. I've never been drunk. My favorite color is black. Your painting got first place in the state fair. No, it did. <gasps> I knew you'd been drunk because you've texted me drunk. I've never been drunk. You have been drunk. Nope. You've been tipsy. I've been tipsy, but I've never been drunk. Oh. I've never, never blacked out, never don't remember. I've never been drunk ever. Oh, wow. Girl, I'm drunk on the daily right now. So. And then I realized while I was reading that, that I I had to make up a lot the last second because <laughs> I put a lot, another lie in there, too. That's oh, fun. No. Okay. I was like, it says my favorite color is blue. And I was like, that's not true. Oh, shit. Yeah. I know, you knew, I know your favorite color is black. Yep. Okay. All right. I'm ready. Are you ready? Yeah. This one, I'm like, I try to keep each section that I did kind of like around <laughs> the same thing. Do you know what I mean? Like, so it's the same subject of truth and lies. So this sure. one's about, about eating. So <laughs> <laughs> I have eaten squid. I have eaten alligator. And I have eaten duck. Which one's a lie? Mm. You haven't eaten duck. Yeah, that one's a lie. Yay! I love, I love squid. And of course, I've eaten alligator. <laughs> Gator jerky, y'all. That's some sesame bon. That's really good. Okay. Gross. Okay. Ugh, you don't know. I can it's crochet. Not like boucher, where I like just bite the head off. What? The water boy? Bobby Boucher when they were eating the alligator and they just bite the head off. It's just never oh. mind. Okay, oh go gosh. on. Sorry I interrupted. <laughs> I can crochet blankets like a badass grandma. I'm five eleven. I own my own cookie business. You're f- the five eleven's a lie. I'm five ten. Yeah. I know you're tall, but you're not that tall. And I know you can crochet <laughs> like an old lady because I've seen it. <laughs> <laughs> and I've seen your cookies because they're balling. So thank hey, you. Y'all if y'all need cookies, heads up. Taylor's cookie. I'm not company. shipping them, so you better be oh. local. <laughs> Her cookie company is balling. She makes the prettiest cookies. Okay. Um, all right. I saw Chicago on Broadway in New York. I pierced my own nose and my own lip. Two of my exes turned out to be gay and dated each other. Um, you didn't go to Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I've never, <laughs> never been to New York. Well, Chicago's a play, but yeah, I've never, yeah, that's what never I been to Broadway. I definitely did pierce my own nose and lip um, while drunk. And then two of my exes dated each other after I broke up with each of them. So, <laughs> cool. <laughs> that was real fun. I'm like, oh, you're gay? Good. Congratulations. Wait, you're gay with who? Oh, no. Did I did I do that? <laughs> I, it wasn't me that were gay before that. All right, your turn. <laughs> 
Um, my first concert was Cher when I was like nine. I have three tattoos. My first truck was a jacked up Dodge. The jacked up Dodge is why. Nope. <gasps> oh no, it was Cher then. Nope, I don't have three tattoos. I have two. I should know that. I was with you when you got your second one. You should know my body, Dominique. What's wrong with you? I'm not saying how I should know it. Maybe I was look. I'm preoccupied by other things. I'm not counting no. the tattoos on your ankle. I went to um, share when I was like nine, and I had glasses, and I. I loved her, like, so much, and my, so my mom took me, but so then she took away my glasses, because there were so many gays just loving up on each other in front of me, and I was, like, eight or nine, and she was, like, maybe not. I was at the concert, but my glasses were taken away, so. <laughs> well, the real question is, Taylor, do you believe in life after love? I do believe. Okay, cool. Do you think we can turn back time? I think we can. Okay. All right. Um, is that all for yours? Yeah. Okay. I'll do one more and then we're done. All right. First one. I got engaged at a haunted asylum. I walked through a haunted cemetery in New Orleans. I tried to touch Ted Bundy's Volkswagen Beetle. Um, the second one. The New about Orleans? About the grave. Yeah, yeah. I, I've never walked through a cemetery in New Orleans. Um, I've walked through several others, but not in New Orleans. Yes, I almost got thrown out of uh, <laughs> the crime museum because I saw Ted Bundy's beetle and tried to reach it. <laughs> I got some dirty looks, but they let me keep going. Uh, and yeah, I did get engaged at the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum in front of all the little ghosties. <laughs> And it's like the, such such a dominant thing to do. Eric did so well in planning to propose to me at a haunted asylum. <laughs> oh, did or there? Did you get a picture of it, like of any of him proposing? Oh God, no! I almost threw up on him and told him to get up, and like he got down <laughs> on one knee, and I in like front of people. Yeah, and I panicked <laughs> because I don't do well with people staring, so I just yeah. screamed, "Get up before someone sees you!" I almost this threw girl, up. This girl got married in a public like oh, park type of thing we got married and on then, a mountain over at an overlook yeah it was gorgeous but the whole time she's in the middle of her ceremony and people are stopped because they're stopped at the top because they don't want to interrupt and like they don't care that they're stopped they're fully allowing her to have her wedding like it's not going to be that long and i'm up there at the top like it's okay guys she'll just be a couple minutes and they're like oh my god take your time this is beautiful and dominique's in the middle like do you say i do and she's like i do i'm sorry everybody i'll be just a couple more minutes and i'm like dominique have your mom i felt so bad though because it's like <laughs> these people walk like a mile out there down these stairs and i feel like if it was me i'd be like oh i just want to stop i want to sit down no. and here's <laughs> And I just was like, I'm so sorry, guys. And then I, I feel like they loved me more for it. Because I'm like, oh, sweet baby. No, it's fine. And, I was like, and then they're like, you may kiss the bride. And then you guys kissed and all those people were clapping. And you were like, oh, my God. I, oh, yeah. I was like, no, no, no. Don't clap. Oh, God. It was so beautiful, though. And then I was like, we're like everybody else for five fucking minutes, Dom. I can't. I can't. Anxiety, y'all. That's what that is. And, uh. <laughs> And then people were coming up and they're like, oh, that's so beautiful. The rest of your life starts right now. And I was like, no, I'm like 30. My life started a long time ago. And this person's like, I'm sorry. I thought you were like 18. I'm like, oh, you should come home with me. I love you. <laughs> but yeah, it was like, 
And then people were like congratulating me, like, oh, that was beautiful. I'm like, oh, God, stop telling me you saw it because it's freaking me out. Oh, my God. And the worst part, the worst part was, is the person who married us, our, what's the word, officiate? Yeah. Is my ex-girlfriend. Like, I dated her for two years. <laughs> so, as she's telling beautiful. I know, but as she's like, so it got real awkward for me for a second. She's like, I've never seen Dominique more in love. And I looked at her, I was like, excuse me? <laughs> oh my god. And, yeah, and then she's like, I've known her for a long time, and I know her really well. And then I looked at her again, like, oh yeah, you do. And oh my god, awful. I can't. It was just so, like, it was making me panic. It was, and then people were watching. My ex-girlfriend's marrying us. Oh, God. I walked down these steps in a dress. It was just crazy. But, yeah, it was beautiful. So it, was, it was. It was. It was very pretty. I have beautiful pictures because of it. Um, so, okay. Let's end this crap so you can make cookies. Oh, wait. I have to do my hint. Yes, that's why I was like, let's wrap this up, girl. This is where the Oscars start playing that wrap it up speech music. <laughs> um, hmm. Okay, okay, this is really weird. Are you ready? No. <laughs> yeah. A children's fairy tale turned this tiny man into a cannibal. Oh, I know. Okay. Do you really? Yeah. All right. <laughs> okay. Um, find us at Facebook at Let's uh, Let's Wine About Murder. Our email is wineaboutmurder at yahoo.com. And our Insta is wineaboutmurderpod on Instagram. Like, review, rate, subscribe, do all that shit. Um, like, two people told me happy birthday. So thanks to those two people. To the rest of you, come on, people. <laughs> I'm a diva. I need more attention. Oh, also, somebody re reached out to us. I just wanted to say real quick. Somebody who listens talked to somebody else about something I said to them about somebody I knew that got murdered. And then they told that person because they thought it was that person's sister-in-law. So that guy went home and told his wife that they thought that maybe the person I was talking about was their sister. It was not. But the person reached out to me and I just want to say, holy crap. This girl is strong as fuck because her sister was murdered. I'm not giving details because it's an ongoing case, but murdered in March while this lockdown was happening. So they haven't been able to do a funeral. They haven't been able to lay her ashes to rest or do a memorial. And they're about to have to go to court against the murderer. Oh my God. Yeah. She's like, it's just getting started. And I'm like, I am there with you in spirit. I am so sorry. I, yeah, the person that, because she reached out and she's like, if it's the person you're talking about, your friend was my sister, I'll give you all the information you want. And I was like, oh, I appreciate it. It wasn't. It's a different girl. But holy crap, if it was not just like the saddest story of, a, a, it was abuse. A guy murdered a girl in a rage and uh, it's still going on. And I don't want to release anybody's names. Um, But yeah, so kudos to them for being very strong. And like, everybody's going through some crap with this lockdown. But to have your sister murdered and then you can't even celebrate her life and that you know that you're going to have to appear in court and face this guy. <sighs> but it felt really wonderful for her to reach out and be like, I'm so glad that you talk about this kind of stuff. So, yeah. But yeah. That's also another nice thing. A light over the stone is that people think we're helping. 
We're not. We're just telling you guys stuff, but we're trying. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So do you want to try to count it down? Sure. Okay. Three, two, one. Catch you on the Catch sip you on the side. Sip side. Yay. Hopefully that worked. All right. Bye. Bye.